Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here, not in the podcast studio. We are in a, uh, a very suburban basement. That's right. Is it even, Michael, is it fair to call this a suburb? No. Or is this a, a bedroom community? No, this is, yeah, a bedroom community. It's, it's a country town that the, it, the, the urban area is encroaching upon, and so it becomes a bedroom community. A, yep. uh, so a, a bedroom community but basement? But this particular, this particular uh, community, neighborhood, is for sure, as the kids would say, bougie. Yeah, and um, we are surrounded by a nice selection of board games, <laughs> some pans, looks like excellent pans, Yeah. Um, pantry items, Yep. some Rubbermaids, I would say a, a troubling abundance a, of wine. A, fi- a fine <laughs> wine collection. Um, a, homemade, a, actually. Yeah. The uh, A lot of uh, Dixie Cups. <laughs> or the for said homemade wine. A yep. second full fridge, identical... To the first full fridge yeah. on the first floor. That's nice. Who's, who a bookshelf, bookshelf, a desk that looks like maybe a, a PhD student oh. labors there. Might be. Yeah, I am. Some, uh, there's some markers there. So yeah. we are here not in our podcast <laughs> studio, and I am joined with my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Doctor Michael Berg. Hello. And we are in the the basement of the esteemed Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. Um, I have a very nice Capri Sun in front of me. Yep. Um, Jason's drinking booze, let's just say it. <laughs> but he doesn't have to drive. That's right. He's hitting it pretty hard. Yes. So hopefully by the end of this episode, we don't have to erase anything. But I'm going to have the... I'm going to have the... I'm going to have that button ready. Good thing. We're joined by... Uh, we only have four headsets, so without a headset... Well, a executive producer. That's, that's his one. title? Why don't you introduce? Uh, this is uh, David Meyer. Been on the... Uh, Podcast before we should do like uh, some Pastor. of the famous talk radio hosts have done, yeah. where they talk to their producer, but you can't hear the producer. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we'll, so we'll it's one we'll of those. Cra- he gets the executive. Like if we get worked up, we'll be like, "Dave, what do you think about that?" <laughs> and then we'll kind of con- convey a little bit what he I said. Was, but totally. I was going to say he's producer, but I would assume that you're like, yeah. "But I do the producing," and I'm like, "It's like an executive producer." I credits. always like to share credit. You know how I am. Right, but like, <laughs> it's like when it's just those credits you give your friends. He doesn't do anything. You know, executive producer, David Meyer, pastor in Oak Creek. And yeah. and the reason why we're in McGuanago is uh, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Mark Paustian, professor at Martin Luther College in New Ulm, Minnesota. He spoke at St. John's McGuanago, uh, a parish that I help serve and Jason helps serve and is a member of. And they have the Veritas Lecture Series, and he came and talked on uh, something I was five minutes late, so I don't remember the title. Um, <laughs> biblical oh, uh, yeah, encouragement, biblical the power of words. <laughs> I forgot it too. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> that was hosted um, by all three pastors, but the preacher for Compline was a friend of the podcast. The uh, the Reverend Pastor John Borland, John Borland, whose yes. collar I would note yeah. is a little higher than yours. You ever notice that? Well, he's vice president of something. So. <laughs> he has a more dignified neck, maybe. That's right. <laughs> All right. <coughs> Sorry, I think I have tuberculosis. <laughs> My great-grandma died of that. Is that running genetic? I don't think so. I hope not. All right. Because it sounds like not a, not, not a good way to die. Um, Let the Bird Fly is part of the 1517 Podcast Network. Check out the show notes for information on that. You can go to 1517.org. Check out stuff there. 
few things I would note. Um, here we still stand. The conference in October, October 26th through 28th, is sold out. One of those tickets <coughs> belonging to Michael Berg. Mm-hmm. We'll be out there if you're there. But you can still live stream that. It is free to watch the live stream. On so CS, look for that. On C.S. Lewis. This yeah, year. lots of good stuff on C.S. Lewis, October 26th through 28th. Um, there are free Advent resources you can find over at 1517 as well, uh, as well as information about the Northwest Arkansas Conference that will be coming up. Um, I will try to remember to have that information in the show notes. Um, Jason, would you like reading, to read our disclaimer, please? Yes. <coughs> uh, this podcast... You did remember the disclaimer, right? Oh, clearly, yeah. Okay. Um, this podcast does not speak for... Us or our church. There we go. Yeah. So go live free, friends, and uh, don't let us get in the way. You gotta slow down on that, Jason. The disclaimer. It's not apple juice, man. <laughs> Little sips. Thought it was Capri Sun. Little sips. And that brings us to our main topic, uh, which is going to be a little uh, free range, like uh, like chickens. Mm. Isn't that a type of chicken? Eh? Yeah. Free range. I think that means they get enough room to like turn around, and they get to see the sun for about five minutes a day. Yeah. But they can charge more for them then. Um, but we're going to be talking words. Um, the presentation today was on the power of words of biblical encouragement, but uh, maybe words in general. Uh, as a, a fun way to go with this, uh, we just did Genesis and one ten a little while ago, and we spent a lot of time talking about words. God creates with words, and then we had Mark's gospel. We just finished, and again, Jesus recreates with words. Uh, he gives absolution. Um, our God is a, a God who gives words, who gives promises, who's in dialogue to us, who tells us to pray. Um, words play a very important and prominent role in Christianity, and so I think, Michael, you said you were going to be uh, able and willing to kind of get us started with some thoughts on words, and then we'll go where we go. Hopefully at the end of this episode, this dude will be able to, to say words still. Words. <laughs> the, uh, uh, he, I think he can If you need some Capri Sun, just let handle. me know. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> Thank you. And we talk about this a lot on the, on the podcast, um, the power of words that God has created us with. God has creative words that has creative power and when god created faith in your heart um, through the word or through baptism that was no less important and valuable than when he said let there be light right these kinds of things and uh the idea that god's word especially the gospel word the promise is is has a is dynamic it's a dynamis it's a power I like to say to the kids, it, it's got juice, right? I think even our last podcast, we said there's a difference between... That's going to be, by the way, we talked about adding mic drops. After we did that live podcast, Dynamis mm-hmm. is going to be one. Yeah. I, I think he's been saying Dynamis as often as I've been saying Lugal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's going to be so. a mic drop. But, yep. but there's there's something to uh, the modern way of of reducing things, including words. I look over the word. It's static. It doesn't move. I, I um, conjugate. I do all these things, which, which is all necessary and, and good and, and can be fun. But I'm looking over it as a scientist looking over a microscope. And instead of, instead of seeing it as the double-edged sword, the, 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 I, 
way I teach the kids is dynamic. It's, it moves. It moves. It's something that does something, right? And that's power, powerful stuff. And um, <clears throat> today in Christ and Culture, uh, we discussed uh, Orwell's um, essay on politics and the English language. So that was, that was uh, timely that we, we talked about that. And uh, he, he makes quite a few, I think, very, very profound points that um, <clears throat> sometimes we our words get stale and unimaginative and we, and we just have these phrases and these words that are ubiquitous and they end up having no meaning. And I, I think he makes a profound point. He wouldn't put it this way, but, but I will, that uh, the words, uh, what we speak, yeah, um, affect what we think and vice versa. And both of those things then affect how we act. So the classic example is love, right? The four loves versus English, one love. But I had a student who said, he said, does that work with hate? And I said, I suppose it does. Hmm. I suppose it does, right? Um, but I use the example of liberal and conservative that these words become labels. And, and I said, you should treat them not as labels and identifiers, but rather as verbs, so ask yourself, what are you conserving or what are you being liberated from? And then it's no longer an identifying marker of you, I am conservative or I am liberal. Um, you actually see the word for what it is, and that opens up so much more possibilities, and so you're more imaginative instead of just being labeled on, on some sort of spectrum. And I think that's what partly what Orwell was after, uh, <clears throat> that words can constrain us, but... But he was very hopeful in the end. He said, um, but, but if, we, if we rediscover these words, we can, we, can, we can change politics and stuff like that. And he said that in, in, the, in 1946, I believe, is when that, when that article came out. So, but at the end of that class, I said, this is Christ and culture. And we talked about culture and the words where it's a connection to Christ. And, of course, it's because Christ is the word, right? And there's just so much to unpack there. Uh, something that I, I don't know even the greatest theologian can, could could exhaust that, right? Because there's just so many examples, and, and you have to live this word out and seeing this, as you said uh, today, Dr. Paustian Lane, this, this word that is encouraging in a certain way, or, or that gospel word. And, and, and Wade, I know you like to t think about the two words from God, right? And, and law and gospel, and Luther was very made a lot of that, right? Even saying we have two kinds of gods. He didn't say we had two gods, but God comes to us in these two different ways, right? And these two words, and, and the word of promise is, is his proper work, right? So, all right, is that good enough to get us going? Does that get your juices going a little bit? Yeah. All right. Jason's daughter called, and I was going to try to hook up the Bluetooth and be like, oh, you're, <clears throat> you're live on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I didn't know how. He's got an Android, and I don't yeah. know how to get to his settings, so. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what the she would have been was. thrilled by that. But I think she would. She would <coughs> yeah. yeah, I will let you guys if you want to jump on anything with words before I. Sure, um, <coughs> I love your note on the creative power of the word, and of words. Um, before I went to school, I, I had a definition I used of communication, that I love, and but it just doesn't go far enough. It was it's the process process of sharing meaning, and all the human stuff that surrounds it, like what triggers your trust and so on. And that by itself is an hallelujah. It's an incredible thing that an event in my head becomes an event in your head of thought mm -hmm. and how that actually happens between us. The air vibrating and just 
and then the electrical impulse it's into phys- the skull. It's physical. It's incredible, yeah, yeah and physical, yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, scholars talk about Helen Keller as what a case study she was because when she goes berserk in the lawn as Ann Sullivan, you know, stamps signs into her palm, she's not learning what water is. It was W-A-T-E-R. She's learning what words are. And this is what pierces her isolation. And, and the academic calls it the vast intersubjectivity intermediated by signs, mediated by signs, I should say. And I, I would like to say, welcome to the human race, that she's now part of that. And it, that we're not like the animals experiencing reality nakedly. We're always putting symbols in between. And so the creative word, if you've thought about it in these terms, I don't know, performative utterance, is that familiar? So uh, the best example is I now pronounce you man and wife. And so the words are ushering in a new state of affairs. It's like a, a boy and a girl who negotiate their relationship and call it dating. So they put this new word on it. And all of a sudden, all these possibilities that weren't there before, the way they think about the future, the way, the way they think about every other human being, the way they, you know, things that are available with each other that weren't before. And so as a performative utterance, it's like when God calls you his child, he's, he means to turn your world upside down and make this whole world a possibility suddenly very real to you. And um, I, I just think it's, it's what takes us past the transmission model. So my definition was flawed because all it was was sharing meanings back and forth and it didn't have the element that you're describing. Um, the creative word. Um, yeah, the I like word that. that brings us to life and all of that. Right, that so many, the idea of possibilities and it changed, these words changed the situation, right? So they, they literally had power, right? And mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that Paul would say that the gospel word of all would, of course, have a power would change something, and, and that Greek word, dynamis, right? It's it's dynamic. I, I, I got a question for you. So, uh, you know, words is, as signs, right? Signifiers, uh, like a mediation between the, the thinker and and the 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 real world, um, and between two brains, between two people, and I think in maybe a, a postmodern way that has been used to say, well, because there's, they're just signs and not reality and, and they come with baggage and the hearer comes with baggage that we cannot get to truth. But I wonder if the exact opposite is true, that there's, there's something beautiful that it's, it's a sign, mm-hmm. that there, there's something beautiful about mediating truth with words that give us, well, I think of C.S. Lewis talking about mythology being sometimes the truth, the, the truthiest of the truth. <laughs> right? Yep. Because it says something that just a, a mere, here's the state of affairs in a very dry way can't get to. I'm, I'm wondering if you ever thought about the power of signifiers and, and its connection with language. Yeah, I mean, there's so many scholars that, of communication that all they do is wring their hands over it and problem, problematize it as a thing that fails. It's, this is that thing that fails. And I think that isn't enough of gratitude for the, the, the miracle of it. Um, and it's not, I often think it's not a result of the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden did not have mental fusion. They reached for each other across that space using symbols. And in heaven, there's every indication we won't have mental fusion in heaven. We'll still be using symbols. Oh, and, yeah. and so it's a human thing, not a sin thing. Here in our state of sin, I think that is the room we leave for the mystery of the other person and the compassion that we that we leave room for, that we are don't have mental fusion, we aren't. Fusion, we aren't in each other's heads. But I, yeah, I think it's it's just this 
marvelous, marvelous thing. That and, and works, works pretty well much of the time. Yeah, right? I, never, I never thought about that way. I think that's brilliant. Uh, that's a good idea that just the fact that, well, Adam and Eve had language. God had language, therefore it's not. It, it can be uh, certainly flawed because of our use, but it's not language's fault, right? Sometimes we, exactly. we tend to blame, like we often do that, well, it's, it's reason's fault. Well, it's really my fault. It's not... <laughs> the God-giving gift of reason. I think about like food too, like food's different than water because water is, I mean, a, a marvelous thing that can destroy but also give life. But it's when I drink water, it's, it's just water. Why isn't food that way? Why did God make it that food would be so uh, full of variety and there would be uh, so many different ways to prepare it? Why didn't he just give us pellets like, like, <laughs> like we get water? And I wonder if something similar with language allows us a bit of mystery, uh, some symbolism, some fun, some laughter, tragedies and comedies. And, you know, like, like wh- what would we miss if language was only just zeros and ones data? Or like you said, mental, mental fusion. Uh, something I, uh, I'd like to hear, hear what you think about that, that language being not just a gift so I can know things. That seems like such a modern way of thinking about it, but that language is a gift that beyond that. Can I just interject for one moment? And hey, I do have a what question were you for doing later. in the corner? <laughs> I didn't want to disturb you guys, <laughs> but I think I have found a copyright-free sound effect for <laughs> mic drops. Okay. Right, so this is a, this is a play on words. Because when Mike says a Mikeism, <laughs> we're gonna call it Mike Trap. So, so okay. I, I would just I, like your reaction st- to it. Okay, I have a story be- before you start this. So, uh, did I? Is this you bring? Jason, this remember where we were, so you can throw that question back to Doctor Pouston. <laughs> did you bring? Did you? Did I talk to you about this? Is or this? This this came up at uh, the. This is from the live, live recording. Podcast. Yep. You said something like and a nice, profound mic thing, and I said we need to start doing mic drop. Well, so okay, so but here's an ironic story: is that. So in high in the, my high school class, right? Uh, they're like, "Go Cardinals!" We're gonna call you no, no, Wisco. What I'm teaching. Oh, mm. he said, "Go Vikings!" I'm gonna call you. They, they were giving me nicknames. They want to know. For, it's first started off like, "What? What are you?" Like they just call me Mister Berg, and then then someone's like, "No, he's a pastor," and then like, "No, he's a doc." You know th- that thing. What do you What do you call me or whatever? Mm-hmm. So they were they were thinking like a nickname, and then I was talking about this nickname. Of a uh, student I had, I just found out about in. in uh, yeah, you said that uh, on the live juicy, podcast. Yeah. Juicy, right? I was telling yeah. Juicy, yeah. yeah. So I'm at high school, I'm uh, Mike of the East. <laughs> no, Berg of the East. You know what they Berg. used to call me in church league basketball in Saginaw? White Lightning. P Wade. P Wade. Like D Wade. <laughs> so anyway, but they also thought Mike Drop would be. And they also sometimes call me P Daddy, like yeah, P Diddy. P. Diddy. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I may be, I officially mm. may be mic drop in the, in the high school. Nice. Or Berg of the East. Okay. Right. Is it Berg of the East or Mike of the East? Berg of the East, yeah. Okay, ready for this? And I'm getting that wrong. The, the last part of this like starts playing some song. So I'm, if we like this, I'll cut it down and I'll get it okay. on the soundboard. All right. All right. Say physicality or something, Michael. Uh, uh, it's got some juice. Dynamics got some juice. Okay. Oh, ah, I got to hook the Bluetooth back up. I took it off because I didn't want to disturb you guys. Okay. One second. All right, hold on. All right, let's not make this awkward. Dude, we're, we're literally having this with a, we're not communi- live, are we? a communications professor. Oh, I'm we're watching not, everything not, you guys are doing. We're not live, are we? Okay, now we're going to try this again. We're going to make this go back. 
You know what yeah. words got weight? No. Okay. It's it's dynamic. It's got some juice. That's <laughs> it. Was that loud enough? That, or? that wasn't loud that, enough. That, I like the squeal at the it, end. All right, I'm going to crank it up. Okay. Here we go. Right. Oh, I know. I had the sound on because I don't okay. want to disturb you guys. Oh, right. This is going to be okay. super loud right. now. Okay. I apologize. It's, it's, uh, it's dynamic. It's got some juice. <laughs> you like it? Okay, that's definitely. I'll send that to myself, and that's a possibility. Yeah. Okay. And Jason asked the question Michael asked before, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get all that because uh, there is <laughs> there is a lot going on. Um, but I don't know. Do you do you remember better than I do? With uh, I with remember that? what it triggered in me. Can I just start talking? Yes. About yes. Like answers are not. That was well, a long time ago. Welcome to my world. Yeah. I shouldn't have interrupted, but I did task him. Welcome to my world, <laughs> on and off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, my favorite definition, or one that I really like, of communication is communication is that which answers to the fact that we can never be each other. And so, because of the hand wringing, the people have really been bothered by that. Am I alone in my skull? You know, and it's like the Turing experiments, where if a computer can perform inwardness, then how do I know there's anybody that has the same thing as me? Um, there's this whole history of how communication has been, has been thought of. So, like when there were first radio waves, then people began to say, "Well, what else is possible?" And so that's where seances just swept the country, right? Uh, remember the iconic ad for Motorola or Victor, the old gramophone. What, what am I trying to say? Mm. Oh, the Victorola. Mm-hmm. Victorola. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's the dog, and it's the. Yep. I bet yep. he has one of those down here. <laughs> and and the the byline is he hears his master's voice, right? And so, you think how strange that was the first time you could hear the voice of a dead person. Well, that's where seances came from, and the whole country's kind of mm-hmm. going crazy with that, and so on. Um, the old scholastic question of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, that was the same question. If an infinite number of angels can, then they've got fusion. It was really the same thing, even though we kind of laugh at that, how silly that is. But I, I think what's exciting um, about your question is it goes back to, I mean, um, Augustine had this, thinking about communication in a totally theological way. Kierkegaard had this for sure, just theology and communication married together. And... Um, in the last maybe 20 years, it's been more and more common that I talked to my theologian friends, and they were studying the same thing, like crisis conversational maxims or speech act theory. They're studying the same stuff to get at some of the dialogues of Scripture that are, that are really puzzling and so on. So I think it's, it's exciting to, to just the question you're asking is asking to think about words theologically and think about communication through that lens. And that's what I love to do. I'm not a theologian. I was I was Expert, hoping this right. would come up because you may remember when you were on last time we did get to talk a little Kierkegaard. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> and uh, so one of my favorite things about Kierkegaard, and we use it in ethics, is uh, when he talks about, oh, the Greeks just thought the problem was the intellect was ignorance. If we just knew a little bit more, everything would be good. And right, he has the great insight, which is a very Lutheran insight, that the problem is the will, um, that we know better. And I think when we talk about words in the Bible and in theology, that's also a helpful in, insight because for the for the Greeks then, and he, he has in mind, you know, like Aristotle, and we're just going to teach you right. Um, you're just going to give the, the person the right words and then they'll have the instruction and everything will be good. And that's the, that's the tact a lot of religion will take 
learn the right words, learn the right rituals, um, things like this. And as Lutherans, we learn words. We learn the catechism, for instance. But I would say the intention is for those words um, to operate and be received in a different way. Uh, they're not just for our intellect. Uh, now, we can sometimes over-intellectualize them. But they're also uh, an attack on the will of the old man and then an appeal to the will of, of the new man. Um, they're addressed at the will then. So they're not just merely didactic. Um, they're charismatic. They're proclamatory. Um, and I think that's uh, how we see it again and again in Scripture. So often, these, even when God uses stories, it's then to drive home a proclamation, right? The, you think of David, and there's the sheep, and <clears throat> the rich man takes the... But the you are the man. Um, you know, Ezekiel talking to the dry bones so that he can then proclaim... Um, when we, when we we talk words, then I, I think we <clears throat> we recognize that they have more than just as we hit upon, or you hit upon while I played on YouTube, <laughs> data. <clears throat> um, but but that they have in themselves a real power. I think this is a point of connection with our day, by the way, too, because um, you know when people say words are violence, now I can go. All right, calm down. Like, but at the same time, they do get like words do things, right? Words are are powerful things, and uh, and that's something that maybe wasn't appreciated for for a while in the West. Um, in the way that maybe it can be now. At the same time, we can relativize words or attack them, but even when we have cultural debates about words that are used for people, and we're not going to go down that you know, rabbit hole here, but there's a recognition that these, that these words have power, um, and they can be, um, some would argue creative, self-creative. Others would argue, um, they can be, um, uh, a, a compulsion, a show of force, trying to, <clears throat> to force words, um, on others. And there's, there's a recognition then that words do things, um, and, and that, uh, maybe is a good reminder for Christians too. We, our last, our, we did a live podcast for some of the students in the Milwaukee area colleges about what we talked about going, what, what's hap what, what should you do with your Bible, right? And that you're encountering the word there, that you're encountering Christ. You're not just trying to get through a page. Um, and so I'll throw that, um, out there and you can tell me if I'm, completely wrong, but I, we just, in, in a, um, History of the Reformations, we just finished Bondage of the Will, and that's a very hard read for the students, but something I was very proud of them for picking up on was that Luther's basically arguing the same thing, too, when he says we're a beast of burden, and there's one of two riders, and they contend for us. Well, how do they at their core contend for us, but with words, right? Um, let me say one thing, and then we'll have, have Mark chime in, but uh, for all, like you said, the hand ringing about the power of word or the relativism that's around in words and 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 exchanging truth and falsity, right and wrong, with with uh, you know oppressor victim, all of these sort of kind of uh, large, uh, loosely tied postmodern sort of things. Um, at least there's a recognition 
that words do things, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that have power, and I find that actually refreshing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what arrogance to think that that words could be controlled by us, right? And uh, Pastor Borland, who's not going to make it tonight, by the way, he has relatives. Mm-hmm. Just text me. Yeah. Um, he he. I stole He's this not coming because he has rel- I have relatives that are visiting. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I um, <laughs> I stole this from him, but one of the the problems with the with the, the modern preacher, perhaps, and and I use that to say myself is I think that um, I can control the law. Like the law comes out of my mouth, and I know exactly how it's going to hit the hearer. I know that because that's what I intended, as if my intention would, would go along with these words perfectly to, to, the, to the hearer's ears. And yet, we're afraid that the gospel may go out and, you know, just do too much, just too much too soon, too fast, right? And, yeah. and, and, uh, and so we, uh, we almost fear the gospel going out, um, but we don't fear the law. We think we can control the law. And, uh, and, and that goes against what, you know, the idea of the reckless uh, farmer throwing his seed. But yeah, at that's least, That's a great Franzman line, right? And right. Is it preach ye the word again in the yeah. new hymnal, or is it preach, preach, preach ye the word still? Pre- I think it's, I think it's, We went back to ye and thee with some of them. But the sower sows his reckless seed, right? Yeah, and he says, what a great word of that. Yeah. His yeah. reckless love. Whatever, Jason. Jason knows him. But, but yeah. I find it very refreshing and actually kind of exciting. Instead of uh, saying that this this world is going to hell in a handbasket and we have no hope, I find I find great hope in a lot of these things. And one of those those things is at least we have a recognition of word, and we we stopped living this lie. This this is one of the greatest lies we we tell our children that sticks and stones mm-hmm. may break your bones, but mm-hmm. words will never hurt you. It's it's really the exact opposite, isn't it? Like oh. the words, the wounds that were, the wounds that words inflict um, are much harder to heal than any stick or bone. There is, um, when you look at the kind of the development of the third use of the law in Melanchthon's theology, um, and as it then makes its way into the formula, it's interesting that it in part develops out of, and let me, disclaimer. I am not denying the third use of the law, right? I'm just saying as it was developed. Okay. Um, this guy does <laughs> over here. But, um, but um, as it developed, part of it, came out of, part of it came out of these talks he's having with the Roman Catholics, whatever, and there has to be some way to express the law still has a, a role in the Christian life. And Luther uses what we call the third use of the law in his sermons, in the catechisms. It's clearly there, but as Melanchthon's trying to define it, um, it seems like it partly came out of his study of rhetoric. And, you know, he carefully taught his his students rhetoric and these principles of communication, and he even comes up with his own that he adds, which is the didactic something, the, the teaching one. And I'm not saying it's bad that he does that, but with the third use, it is this kind of development of, okay, now this is the communication of this in this way. And and so there's clearly we we need the law in the life of a Christian. It mortifies the flesh. It keeps us from coming up with our own works. It's a guide. Um, but I think we can sometimes take it a step further, and with both law and gospel, think I now stand over it in proclamation. And I think sometimes when people get nervous about the scriptures, and they they think, well, the words of the scriptures are going to attack us. 
right? Well, yeah, they are. That's what they're there for. They attack me too. Whatever your sin is, and I think certain people think, oh, because I have this sin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to attack whatever the sin is. It's going to attack you. It's going to want to put you to death, and then it's going to make you Dulos Christi. And it may, um, it may pursue you for a very long time. Too, yeah. You know? and, and, I mean, how often doesn't David talk about that in the Psalms? You know, God's coming after him. Uh, but this is ultimately a good and salutary thing that it's doing. But I think there is a recognition of um, what words can do and that can be helpful. We should circle back at the end because I do want to talk a little bit encouragement at the end, too, of what words do with encouragement. But I'll uh, throw it to Mike and I have talked a lot. I will throw it to our guest or even to Jason. Go ahead if you want. Um, You kind of triggered three small points. I don't know if they're linked together. One is um, St. Augustine. Uh, one one writer says he had a productive ambivalence about rhetoric and about eloquence. He was nervous about bringing that into the church, but but the result was the confessions. You know, this yeah. this bomb bomb that hit <laughs> hit the Christian community un- unheard of, never seen before. And so that's just kind of a cool thing to think about. His theology of words um, in his book about Christian doctrine is oh. really the incredible analogies to the person of Christ and crazy cool stuff. Yeah. Um, about the dissemination issue, also going way, way back in the day, um, it's really interesting to think about Plato versus Jesus because Plato was so uh, put off by the new technology of writing, well, not mm-hmm. new, but put off by the notion of words getting to people they don't belong to, and he almost had a sexual notion of words meeting people, and it was just abhorrent to him. And then you have the sower, mm. as you're talking about sowing the seeds, just yeah. extravagant grace, the sunshine, and the evil and the good. You know, there there it goes. Yeah, the wastefulness is beautiful, and but maybe most importantly, back to the power of words and what they do. So my example of dating kind of gets at this. The theoretical area you may know is called symbolic interactionism, and it is the notion that we name things. As part of the power here is that we're naming things, and based on how which we Adam does right at the beginning. Exactly, yeah. and and so this is very biblical. God has a profound warrant that how you name a thing then in every, in every way determines how you experience it and what you do with it. So you've got some strange shape over here in the corner when you tell me it's a chair. Well, now I'm going to sit on it because you named it that. And now that entirely entirely guides me in a way that's pretty self unsubconscious. It, it should make us a little bit nervous because it's not a big leap to constructivism where I got a male body. It's, I, can, I can name it something different. And I can call a female, and now I can experience it differently. Um, but the, the, the guardrails and the safeguard is um, divine revelation. So God is omnip- omniscient. He can name things in a reliable way, and a way that within which I can live that reality mm-hmm. based on God's ultimate naming. And I don't, I don't have the right to do what the devil did in trying to rename who God is and so on. Yeah. So that's part of the power, too, that just is really shaping experience. And to not have the word of God, you're kind of off on your own devices, what you make of all this. Yeah. What words you put in between um, yeah, can be disastrous. And, and, yeah. and words can often become a hedge, right, rather than a barrier with God as well. We um, uh, we we think of the notion of, right, we, we, can, um, we can make God an idea, right? So Luther tells Erasmus, your God is all too human. And then we hedge with words, and then we... We limit God to our words for things, right? 
and, and this is all common in a lot of theology of, well, this is how God is, and we've defined him, and so this is, um, I, I mean, the attributes of God, they're great and all, but I, I always get really nervous when theology always wants to start with that. Like, it's like, okay, let's hedge him in right away, and here's the words, and then. Um, so, so that brings up a th- <coughs> another theory, which is probably well-known, um, superior warf linguistic relativity. So these are the guys that said Eskimos have 60 words for snow and therefore they're experiencing snow in 60 ways and can perceive all these differences. The problem is you may know they falsified their research. It was a lie. <laughs> so, I mean, there's some words for snow. but yeah. And so their whole idea was discredited for quite some time. And the idea is that language is the envelope of reality or language is a stream. I can, I can go in the current of that stream based on the words that I have, but I can't really get outside of it. So I can't think about things if I don't have the words for them. And so that's why it's so exciting and so, I mean, just critical and life-altering to have the words of God that let us think about things, uh. think about his nature, think about his reality, think about who he is and what he's, what he's done for uh. us. I can't think about that without the words. Yep. You know? and, and yet at the same time, uh, he wants us, he gives us, as he wants us, to, he gives us Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet, when Moses wants too many words, <laughs> he says, "I am who I am," right? Uh, or with Job, <clears throat> you know. Um, and this balance that we kind of learn to walk as Christians of here. Now I stand under revelation, but at the same time, God does foster an inquisitiveness, you know, in us about this. I think that is interesting. Um, did you have something you want to say before? before yeah, you? maybe two things. One is I, I tell that my students like you always want to know more until I <laughs> until I assign the <laughs> first. Uh, 20 chapters of Isaiah, <laughs> that's too much, right? <laughs> um, but there's the epistemological situation going on here, too. Like, how do I know truth, right? Is truth going to be... Can can I, by my own reason... Not yet. That's way <laughs> too early. He said epistemological. It's one of your frequent can words. I, can I point... I'll point at you when I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Okay? Um, <laughs> so... Theoretically, reason, well, not theoretically, reason can only justify, reason can't justify itself. It, o- it can only come to one conclusion that it, it can't justify itself, right? So, and, and this is what we're, we're wringing our hands over in our society for the last, whatever, 50 years. Words, we can't justify this, this use of words because they're just out there, right? They don't have any grounding, right? And this is a, this is a, uh, me fumbling to say this, but, if there is the eternal logos, if there is the word uh, backing up our words, um, then we can be confident of their of their power and their ability to get us to knowledge. As much as we'll mess it up, as much as we don't have the perspective that he does, but I think that's what we're after here a little bit. That uh, it, it's words are just out there, and who knows what they what they can do or or, or cannot do. But if they're grounded in a truth the eternal word i think that there's something there that we are created by words by the word yeah yeah and i mean the thing too that you know just as i you know and i'll admit i've not done a ton of um study myself with communication as such but um other than you know the I don't know. You just said as such. That sounded like yeah, yeah. fancy stuff. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, waiting for hither for hither <laughs> hither for uh, that. <coughs> no the but the idea of 
um, you know, communication as, as failure. And I think, you know, even, even apart from, you know, what, what Mike was just saying with that, you know, I think as Christians, we'd say, yeah, there, there's, there is that eternal logos that we, um, lean on, rely upon, but, you know, it's, um, kind of, it's, it's striking to me that, you know, you, that so many look at communication and only see failure because the idea that, you know, that how can, uh, how can anyone know anyone else is only through that communication in some way, shape or form. Right. Uh, and the, to me, the, the marvel and wonder of that, you know, um, should be something that, uh, pushes out any, um, dominance of failure in that regard. I, I guess that's just, that, that was kind of a, a, a shocking thing to me and, and, and sad in a way that, that, um, you know, those who are so intent upon that only see the, the negative side. So I, I don't know if that's really, um, you know, asking much or, or, or adding much even, but just, you know, kind of a observation of sorts that, there's know, that's kind of sad there's to an, me. Yeah, there's a negative, a negativity there that's, I think, unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe uh, only an affluent society can get to that point oh, or, right, or yeah. negative about, or just the, the fact of, of schooling, like, right, the a liberal arts schooling that we, that we, insist in america everybody gets right now teachers suck the fun out of learning from day one you know it's <laughs> our fault but you know sometimes to remind your your students that uh for for the vast majority of the history of the world people would have killed for this right mm-hmm. but because it you know we just take it for granted and then it becomes a chore um you know it, only people who have time to dissect all of this and, and wonder about this can have such a negative uh uh idea about words and all the problems instead of being overjoyed like you say you should be overjoyed right with the ability to communicate with other people right uh and it, travel helps with this right yeah right i mean you oh, travel yeah. and if if you are the other uh not just uh because you don't know the language but you don't know the culture you don't know the mood you don't know what you're supposed to do with your body with your hands with your your hat your eye you know whatever uh, you can be you can feel out of place and then and then you come home and all of a sudden you 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 appreciate what you what you didn't before and i think on top of that too then you know that's one thing person to person and then and then at the same time the marvel only increases when you think of you know the you know infinite transcendent god um has found a way to communicate himself oh. to us you yeah, know i mean yeah. that didn't have to be that way right yeah, was, yeah exactly you know and and um that is just one of those things too that you know is when when you do find a moment to stop and think about that truly is a a marvel it reminds me of what uh mark you said last time we were on which was many years ago uh i still remember this that we were talking about kierkegaard and uh the, the trouble like just say something clearly, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but then you said, it, from not just a, a, a rhetoric, a communications writing style way, but a clear doctrine that coming home to the authors you knew, that mm. you knew you were safe with, you come home and, and you then began to appreciate 
the way those doctrines were laid out for you in your youth and your and your uh, you know when you were matriculating. And I think I, I know I've had that experience where you kind of you kind of get that little arrogance of a young pastor, and you want to move beyond like the Wawatosan theologians <laughs> or something like that. Well, and I think, and it's, then you come back and you go. Yeah. Oh man, I really appreciate after getting uh, getting my butt handed to me for a few years in the parish. You start to appreciate. I, I know that older pastors who had been through the ringer that maybe maybe didn't have the same. They weren't the most gifted, uh, you know, preachers or teachers or whatever. That every year I appreciated, the, and maybe they came off as a little cranky. Every year I appreciated them more and more, and, and the wisdom that they had. Well, and I think it's Something the same similar. as coming back to the catechism as you get older. Sure. Versus like the catechism in your twenties, where it's still somewhat. You remember, I learned it. You know, and and Lutherans love to do that with words too. I learned that. Right, we learn the words; they're back there. In fact, um, this is why some people will say, "Well, I don't go to church or Bible class." Oh, I already learned all that. And then you realize those words, um, they they don't expire. Well. They're, and does that maybe, you know, bend back to the, the encouragement part of it too, you know, this idea that this isn't necessarily imparting anything new, right? This isn't telling you something that you didn't necessarily not know. it is know, always new, yeah. But it's something that, yeah, it's something that is new in that moment um, based on, you know, your circumstance and your need. And maybe uh, in the way that it was expressed and shared and, you know, I mean, all of that. And, and I think that... So yeah, it wasn't something that I didn't necessarily know, but it's something that has been now made new to me again and in at a, a vitally important way at a vitally important time. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, when we say I've heard that before, there's a truth to it sometimes. Um, but at the same time, across time, I've not heard it before because I'm not the same me. And I don't mean that like I'm not denying like our continuous existence and trying to become like some radical existentialist or something uh, but it it's not the same here when i uh, um this is this is why you never have to preach the same sermon on a text ever because you're not you're you're not the same as you were last time you went to it and your your hearers aren't um i think either i want to throw two things um, well, we have Dr. Poston here, and then I will have to wrap up within an hour. We're gonna, we promised it. we'd be under an hour, or we kind of promised. <laughs> Two things. All right. First, sometimes we can talk about the scriptures, and right the in the Old Testament they would sometimes talk about the ten words. They meant like the ten commandments. Mm -hmm. We say the two words. Well, we mean law and gospel. We don't mean individual words. The same as like when we say Christ is the word, we don't mean like. Oh, he's, he's not Jesus Christ, he's Jesus, because he's just one word. Uh, and it, and maybe this is a bad illustration, but, you know, I sometimes joke in class, it's kind of like in, in 90s hip-hop, where you'd be like, word. <laughs> you know, or, you know, you'd be like, word, your mother. You know, and I don't think that was a put-down. Maybe it was. I, I apologize if that was a put-down. <laughs> but, you know, you just have, <clears throat> word is bond. You know, all these things with word. <clears throat> and um, what, what, what do we... What are we to make of that when we talk about the scriptures in that way of just a word? And we kind of there mean idea, but it's not just an idea because an idea can go unexpressed. I don't know if I'm getting at something good here. Um, but uh, often in many Christian traditions, you'll even um, have people say, well, what's your word for me today? Or give me a word. Um, 
does that play in at all? And then uh, secondly, we had a very good presentation on encouragement today and biblical encouragement. And one of the things I was, as I was listening to it and just thinking about how we think of encouragement in the general culture, I think people often associate encouragement with platitude. Right? You've got certain phrases that come up and... Um, and biblical encouragement is kind of the opposite of platitude. In fact, it's uh, you, you quickly learn as a pastor, don't use the platitudes. It's, it doesn't work at the hospital bed. Um, you talked about different scenarios. Um, and so when we talk about a word, an encouraging word in the, in the scriptures, what are we getting at there that's different than simply how we might think of encouragement in, in popular culture? Like we say someone's an encouraging person, we usually mean, oh, you can do it, smile. You know, what was the Saturday Night Live guy? The, um, Stuart he'd Small. In the, yeah, Stu- he'd stare daily, in the mirror. Daily affirmations. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we mean something more than that. But either of those, anybody can react to, uh, but you're, thoughts, I guess. Hey, you're good enough. That you're was smart it, yeah. enough. <laughs> and doggone it, people, people like, like you. you. <laughs> Michael, could you guys give us just a brief update on Jason's class? How full would you say that is? Well, it's... Uh, <laughs> so, this is the third one. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, I thought that was his glass. But oh, no. no. All right. Okay. That, let's let that, right, go that's ahead. That's our yes, executive no, producer's glass. All right. Dr. What's the connection Proust between should, words yes. and ideas, or what would Christ Shake. as word is more than just like, you know, letters on a page? Shaking this out of my sleeve. I've never thought about that. Great question. Um, my mind went right to the concept of name that the name of God is everything we know about him. And so it's a collective thing. When I hear the word, that's kind of where my mind goes, a very similar place. Oh. Um, and I wonder, this maybe isn't quite what you asked, but I was thinking Old Testament. And I'm wondering what the implications are for apologetics, for how we're talking. Um, Kierkegaard has a thing, back to Kierkegaard, called prophetic irony. It goes to the point you made, Mike, about you can't use reason to... To justify reason, so it's circular, and therefore. So Kierkegaard, prophetic irony means would mean that here everybody else is assuming that they're grounding their truth, and they're trying to ground the truth they assume that they have, and that the prophets just kind of refuse to do that. Thus says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And period. And if you disagree with them, they're going to say, repent, because this is the word of the Lord. And what more can God give you than the sound of God swearing by himself? You know, so do you want to follow up on that? I mean, the circular reasoning part. Well, and I like that because it's not just ideas from God. It's word. Now, these are things for us to think about, but I think that fits with the name idea, too. I mean, maybe to your original, what do you mean by he gave us a word, right? Uh, A message, um, you know, something that was going to encourage and do something that, I don't know, it's maybe a little bit shallow, but... Yeah, apologetics is really is kind of a difficult thing in, in Lutheran circles, and rightfully so. And usually it comes out like, well, you can't reason anybody into faith. Luther said reason was terrible. <laughs> but it's it's so much more than that. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the apologetic value of this is that argument, and it's very similar to the argument of uh, the, the moral argument for the existence of God. You can tell me all day long that it's wrong to punch you in the face for no reason, but you cannot. You're not going to find a reason that's that's foolproof from evolution. 
you're not going to find because you said so, that's not good enough, or society said so, that's not good enough. You finally need a reference point that's absolute and stable. And and to say and and to push people enough to say, but you you may say you're a relativist, but you don't live your life that way. Or you may say that you don't need a grounding, that there's you, you may question the uh, the idea that there is no right or wrong and it's socially constructed, but you actually don't live that way. And and when people say, well, words are are problematic and we don't. You know, but you're using words to explain this to me, right? You don't actually live your life this way. And so I challenge you again, what is your grounding for any of this? And then to say, uh, you know, John came, this is, this is not the gospel, Jesus loves you, this I am, this I know, and this is all I ever want to know, as Professor Deutschlander would say, but said something quite profound when he said in the beginning was the word. And there is an actual specific answer to this very difficult question that every culture has asked is, and that is how do we know things and it comes in this very simple yet profound uh, even poetic way and like you said like and, and speaks like a prophet and just declares <laughs> this is I am the alpha and the, I am the alpha and the omega and everything in between is I that's my translation Right. Well, and I think no, it's he's all of the letters, right? <laughs> he's well in in a very real way. Uh, if all things are created through Christ, he's the reason up is up and down is down, and four plus four equals eight, and why we have the ability to use language and and and, and everything. I mean, he literally is our everything, and we don't mean that in a you know sentimental way. And I, I think that's um, I don't know if that was the what you were kind of well, after I, a little bit. Another angle would be, so performative utterance, words usher in a new state of affairs, such as the words, you are a child of God. How do you test that? What do you, what do you sift for evidence? Uh, you just live it. Yeah. You live it and test it and taste and see that the Lord is good, and that's how you... But you know, even to, as if you're saying that to the, to the skeptic, you know this is true, hmm. that words can change. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's what... It's it's um, in ethics and Christ and culture. Sometimes I end up talking with students about. Well, largely in our day, we're just left with assertion, like you know, uh, someone asserts something is true, and then they get mad if you say no, and so there's no longer like this ethics of, you know, right and wrong or good. It's just this ethics of rights, and you know, you can't tell me what to do, or you can't tread on me, or you pick your side, and I'm just gonna assert, and so I'm gonna tweet my assertion. I'm gonna put it on a bumper sticker. I'm going to make it a, you know, two-minute soundbite on cable news. But then I always feel bad. You read Bond of the Will or you teach Bond of the Will, and he's like uh, taking Erasmus to task for not being willing to make assertions. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I have asserted, and I will assert. <laughs> Christians and I think love it, assertions. Christians yeah. live on assertions. And I think that gets into a bit of what we're at is um, what the prophets are doing is not an assertion firmer of themselves. It's rooted in revelation, which makes the difference, as you noted. It's rooted in the logos, which, I mean, John chooses that word intentionally. Um, at the end of the day, it really is just whose assertions are you going to live under? And uh, that's really kind of a Genesis 3 moment. Um, and whose words, then, are you going to live under? Um, which 
words that make claims on you are going to to keep your ears and grab your heart. Uh, to your other question, yeah, I think it kind of segues. So, my th- my thought would just be that in the worldly idea of encouragement, you know, the pat on the back kind of thing, I don't think there's much concern that what you're saying is actually true. And so we defined encouragement, not my idea, as words that speak to the fear people hide inside or fear, shame, inadequacy. So and that's what trying to cultivate in this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that the agenda is so fundamentally different. As I talked a little bit about, we're not just trying to make you feel better. We're trying to keep you in the Christian race and don't yeah. give up, brother, because we have a Savior and we have a home and we're, we're right now one step closer to it. So the agenda is just one the world doesn't know of. It doesn't have this in there. Um. In their wheelhouse, it's not available without faith in Jesus. Uh, and I think that's where, um, and you got it this somewhat, right? Sometimes encouragement is, uh, it's not fixing it. You know, you, you talked about your father and the, when he's in a difficult situation in life and it's nearing its end, you didn't fix it for him. Why encourage? It's, it's often words spoken into suffering, um, exactly. words spoken under the cross uh, whereas I think the platitudes are meant to be to take your mind off it or to somehow delude you into thinking it's not there for a moment. I remember when the um, when the Minnesota River, it's the Minnesota River that goes through New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. Remember when that flooded when we were there and we got out of school for a few days to go throw sandbags? Yeah. Was, that was, I mean, it was, wasn't a good time for a lot of people, but I bonded with the boys. It was fun. And I remember there was this, like, sh- shed or whatever that – um. Someone like must have like just for the flood they had written on it this too shall pass, mm-hmm. and it floated by. <laughs> <laughs> the flood must have eventually got to it, and we're throwing sandbags, and it floated by. And um, as I've gotten older, I've really appreciated that. Like that is the nature of <laughs> platitudes. Those words aren't aren't anchored. Mm. Um, whereas uh, your baptism never floats by; it always sucks you in, right? Um, I had a good friend who, his son got really sick, and he's a minister. Lutheran pastor's been forgiving people's sins forever, and his son gets sick, and he's told me, my first thought, God is punishing me. Mm-hmm. And so the power of words for the mm-hmm. perpetual reclaiming of the gospel, and the power of words to hold us in that <sighs> faith and to get us through this. And so reclaiming the gospel is part of what somebody said earlier that made me I want to circle back to that point. Yeah, no, I like that. All right, we are, we're at about time. We said we wouldn't go too long, but I'll, I'll give, anybody have any closing words they want to share before we wrap up? Well, Mike just signaled me to give, give a plug for my podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> and your book. You had your book you out really, tonight. That's yeah. right. You didn't right. really do that. You didn't do that. <laughs> one, one, absolutely. Absolutely. Usually when Mike does this, it means I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Podcast uh, and quick. also your book, which looks like uh, I got to look through a little bit in the oh, thank you. Uh, podcast, we're two or three. The premise is that Christians deserve a place at the table of communication scholarship. We've been thinking about this for centuries, and we've got things to say and things that we see and no one else does. And so sometimes it's turning theories upside down. Sometimes it's finding their utility. Sometimes it's completely, like I say, setting them aside. (laughs) Um, But it's always going to be somehow that nexus of theology and communication. So I was out for a while. I'm back at it. Yeah, so this is— We recorded two last week. Okay. Mm. I'm putting this in my notes so I can put it in the show notes. Thank you. Um, and that's on wherever people wherever, catch their podcasts? Yep, yep, okay. Yep. 
so we're two we, or three. Yeah, we actually have started a thing on apologetics, and my thing is to come at it from as a communication yeah. thing, um, and so it's not quite the same as sure. the discipline of apologetics. The book is called Our Worth to Him, 60 Devotions. Um, I liken it to being an ethnographer visiting a foreign country and then trying to capture it in words. So trying to visit Lutheran worship and capture in words what things mean uh, before we dismiss them or set them aside. Let's say what they mean. And, and that's an MPH book, right? Northwest yep. Religion? Yeah, came, the came out and coincided with the new hymnal yeah, that uh, Northwestern lot. Publishing had, had Without Christian well, Christian. I have a note to get both those in the show It's notes. not right. doing that well, I think. <laughs> kind of got lost in all yeah, the books that came yeah, out that one yeah, time. Yeah. It's so good. I have welcome to the club. <laughs> I, have, I have read it, and it is very good. I also I have, have books that don't do very yeah. well. Michael's yeah. does have, do well. I, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I have my baptismal life book. I got the first uh, quarterly I love whatever. That. I love that And uh, I counted the You're ones that... You're not retiring that, now, are you? No, I counted the ones that I bought, and the ones that St. John's McGonagall bought, and... Yeah, there was 10 other people, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll go ahead and, uh, and, and leave off there. Um, we appreciate you joining us again. We've got two, and we've got to get to at least three at some point. Um, Dave, thank you for coming. Exactly Next time we're going to put a, a headset <laughs> yeah. on you. I forgot to pretend I was angry talking to you <laughs> um, <laughs> at some point during the episode. Uh, but we thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that um, those of you who are listening have come to know the power of words in your own life through that word of God, uh, proclaimed to you, uh, put into your ears, uh, taking hold of your heart. Um, and it's with those words and the freedom of those words, we did not prepare you, but that uh, we'll see if you remember, if not otherwise, Jason will jump in and say it, that ultimately in those words of freedom and power and grace that we can let the bird fly. I don't care what the people are thinking 